0: Good morning, ladies. I'm happy to be here for the last lesson, which is the best lesson to teach. It's the lesson of the grand miracle. And I hear you say, "Amen." amen. 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 <laughs> now I don't have to teach because you already know. That's the beginning and the end. I am very thankful for that. I'm going to take you on a little trip with me uh, to Bali a couple of years ago, or Bali. I don't know how do you say Bali. So um, we took a like 19-hour plane ride with a group that we had purchased um, the opportunity to stay at a place in Bali. Uh, for a week, and it takes almost a full day to get there. It's a long flight. And so we got there in the middle of the night, and when we came out of the airport, this is what we saw. And while I was on the plane, I was visiting with the flight attendants, and uh, they said, well, Bali is a very spiritual country. And I was like, okay, (laughs) what does that mean? And I asked her, What do you mean? And she said, well, you'll see when you get there. And indeed, the first thing I saw out the doors of the airport were this. And before I got out the doors, I saw in every third corner some sort of place to offer worship. Um, A shelf in the corner, a statue in the middle, some of them scary, some of them, all of them uh, purposeful and beautiful. And I was already like super curious about what would happen next. So um, th- we got there at night, we drove through the town, we even went through these dark um, streets. We could see that there were markets set up in the dark, in the middle of the night, at 2 a.m. It's very strange, but needless to say, when you travel all day and it's in the middle of the night when you arrive, you're, you're a little off kilter when you wake <laughs> up in the morning. So my husband and I got up before sunrise and sat out on our veranda and watched the sun come up on this Jeep which was way prettier than uh, the little markets in the middle of the night. And so we really thought, my goodness, we have arrived. And um, then I began to look around and see what was there. And I don't know if you can see right down the bottom of those trees. Well, here, I'll show you this. So Bali practices a sort of Hinduism that's combined with many, many other influences. Bali is part of Indonesia. Indonesia is mainly Muslim, but they have allowed the Muslims have allowed this one enclave of Hinduism to exist because they will proclaim, which is very important to the Muslims, that there is one, one true God, and so they say our gods are all in one. That's how they explain it. But I'll tell you, there's plenty of them everywhere <laughs> we went. There's a statue. There's a monument. There's an offering, and there's a gift. And the thing is, we were watching people move about in the early mornings on the property, thinking surely someone will come and make us coffee (laughs) anytime, (laughs) and uh, when that didn't happen, Mike and I, my husband, decided to walk to town and see if we could get a cup of coffee, and we didn't really know anything about town, but we walked down the, um, the little dirt path, and we saw lots of people going by us in both directions, children carrying bags that all looked like they contained something sort of solid and heavy, like white, you know, jewel bags, uh, grocery bags. And I thought, now what is that that they're all bringing? What what is that? Is that their lunch? And you know, I made up all kinds of stories about all the things I was seeing because that's what I do. So I love stories. So in my mind, I'm trying to make it all fit together. And one guy passed us by. They all rode mopeds and the the town is waking up and there was a a large pig upside down on a moped. He's holding it feet up. I think it's no longer with us, the pig, but there's a guy in front and a guy in back and a pig in between. And I'm like, oh, what is that now? <laughs> So we finally get to a place where it looks like a little cafe, and so I ordered some cafe, and they said, oh no, we can't, it's morning, which I thought was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, morning means ritual set. And every, every threshold of every hut and every house and every doorway and the passageways on the street, you see these beautiful little baskets or something akin to them, woven and filled with beautiful flowers that I'm telling you, they, it, they snow flowers from the trees there. It's just incredible. Um, but all these beautiful, very purposeful gifts and offerings to both the gods and to the ancestors. So when we finally did get some coffee at the cafe, they gave a cup first to the ancestor, which was some sort of um, symbol, and a cup and a cigarette, which I found <laughs> to be very interesting. And so I made up all new stories. So um, all I can tell you is that when that flight attendant told me that Bali was a very spiritual country, I, I believed her. So almost everywhere you went, you would see things like this wrapped in garments and cloths, and I did begin to study it, and then I got overwhelmed, so here we go. I only know what I saw. You've got the perusal here, but on the right is not a god. This is a, um, this is someone you want to appease, so nothing bad happens to your house, but he's from the other side. So you gotta give him a little something, you know, gotta give the dog a little something. And then on the street corners, all over, everywhere, there's stuff, and and monkeys too, which doesn't surprise me, because there's lots of orange slices, and things like that, so. Anyway, you wonder, where does this go? Do they, are they saying to themselves the gods are eating it? What 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 are the words they are using to tell the story I'm trying to tell you? I have no idea. I couldn't understand their language. But um, <laughs> one of the trips we had, we went to a temple, which is not unusual. I'm telling you, there are more temples than there are Starbucks here. There's a temple everywhere. You cannot go two blocks without a Starbucks or a Walgreens where we live, and that's what it's like there. Temples everywhere, so small and large. But this one was a, an especially famous temple and people take a pilgrimage to it, we had to drive up the side of a mountain to get there. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, we were required to wear a uh, sarong. So we had to rent or buy a sarong. That is part of the the, uh, requirement to move up these steps. And so we did. So here we are moving up the steps. And then when you get to the top, this is what you see looking down in that middle picture. This looks like potentially a religious uh, training school. This is the middle of the week and the middle of the day. There were lots and lots of people there, like it was a holiday, but it was just something that's always occurring there. And there's my husband and I looking very dashing and strong. So we didn't realize that we, were, we needed to be color-coordinated, obviously. And I think <laughs> I mean, if you looked at us, you'd go, oh, those are Americans. <laughs> so at the top of that, looking down, we, this is like a courtyard here, and there are priests coming and going, white apparently was the color of the day, and there are people carrying up those long stairs, big baskets of offerings on their head, you know, those, and women and little children, and on their feet, they're all wearing flip-flops, now we wore our hiking shoes and our shorts, and look, uh, you know, obviously out of place, but these people who do this, and are doing this as on a regular basis, are doing so in their native garb, flip flops and a sarong. And we thought, wow, what's going on? And we went to one area and somebody held us like this and said, oh no, you, that's for the priest to go there. So then we thought, so this is it. What do they do in this temple here? And they said, oh, this is the middle temple. And I said, if this is the middle temple, of this mountain and up these stairs, where is the highest temple? And they said, oh, you can't see it because the clouds are covering it. Yeah. And families with little babies and two-year-olds and baskets and food hiked up that mountain. We didn't. (laughs) We didn't. But um, amazing. And I thought, wow, in a culture like this, how would Jesus make sense? You've got so many things to keep you busy and to keep you in right alignment with God. And so many ways that I'm telling you, it is the culture. They don't get a lot of what we would call Western work done. Because they're they're doing the work of of spiritual um, appeasement, of uh, making right with the God, living out karma, and other things. So I just thought I just don't know how how I would as a missionary here. Now, mind you, I was not a classic missionary, but I was listening. Because every one of us are missionaries. Jesus. So I'm listening, and and finally, I was asking so many questions. We had this big you know van or something we were driving in with our group of eight. Finally, they said, Cheryl, would you please sit up front? You are driving us crazy with your foot. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went by, by this one place where they were shoveling a certain kind of uh, powder, to, uh, black silt, and they were sh- um, sifting it through screens. And it looked, I'd seen it several occasions. So I'm like, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And he told me, oh, that, that is for a special um, uh, temple or place of worship in your home. And I said, Oh, he goes, Yes, that's that's the most expensive one. If you can get that, you have gotten something. And it looked like they put together, you know, almost like cement blocks. And he said, I said, now now is that for a special God? He goes, no, that's for God to come and dwell with you. Hmm. And then I knew what it was. That's the thing. That's the highest hope and the most valuable desire is that God would come I knew this! That's Jesus! Yeah. So the grand miracle today is that Jesus, God, came in the form of a human person and dwelled with us. And that's the most beautiful miracle of all. And I've got to teach it. Woo-hoo. Sorry, Radha. Sorry, Radha. This is, what one of those, this is what one of these thrones looks like. It's again covered with things at all times. I'm not sure what all the draping is, that's another lesson altogether. But he, they are looking for the God who dwells with us. So the grand miracle is that God dwells with us here in this simple place. And I'm gonna go through four points I want you to remember if you don't remember anything else. We're gonna talk about the story of God dwelling with us and there are four points to that story. And the first one is he dwells with us in perfection, in creation. In creation, there was an indwelling of God in the garden with Adam and Eve, and I can read that to you or not, but either way, you know, it was a perfect, perfect place to be. He dwells with us in a promise after the fall. There's a fall now. We've broken relationship, but there's a new promise. He dwells with us in person in redemption. This is the Redeemer, our Jesus. And in perpetuity, I had to have a pee in perpetuity and restoration this is the big God story and dare I say the big love story let's talk about imperfection and creation Genesis 2 and 3 <clears throat> tell us about this after Genesis 1 and everything God's made the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden there he put the man he had formed this is excerpted you'll see by the ellipses The Lord God made all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. A river watering the garden flowed from the Eden. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and he made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And God saw all that he had made, and it was, everybody, very good. I juxtaposed Genesis 1 and 2, which are uh, the same story told in a tighter frame and a wider frame. But here's the deal. In the creation of man and woman, God saw himself, and it was very good. Now, I have a beautiful little Bible called the Jesus Story the Bible. How many of you have this Bible? Okay. Our author actually quotes this Bible in today's lesson, and I bring it. So I love this Bible so much that I've given away probably dozens. And I wish I could give you this one, but it looks like I stole it from Amy Elfman. Amy <laughs> <laughs> we used to do a Bible club together with children who are from around the world. This is why you're a missionary no matter where you are, because sometimes even the world comes to your doorstep. But I just want to read you read to you from this Bible. You know, sometimes it helps to to hear a, a story or, a, or a, a different translation, or in this case, an interpretation. But it is so tender that if there's any reason in the world you have an excuse to buy this Bible, I'm telling you, buy the Bible. Tell them I sent you. They'll know my address. Here's how it, here's how it uh, goes in, according to the Jesus Storybook Bible. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve, and when they opened their eyes, the first thing they saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. (laughs) (gasps) See, you've got to get this book. Listen to this line. And God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. Say that with me. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. God loves us and makes us lovely. Love that. Mm-hmm. Nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would be more, he would move heaven and earth to be near them always, whatever happened, whatever it cost, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began.
1: So the heart
0: of a human as mortals, is to be in in the right time and space with a person. Like, if you want to get to know somebody, you've got to go and be with him. You've got to get a ticket to sit in a front row. You've got to get some time understanding who that person is. I studied a long time before I went to see Hamilton, so I could understand Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's what it takes to get to know somebody on the surface. But to get to know somebody, really, go on a vacation with them. Marry them. Give birth to them. You live together. You know, and God's desire was to dwell with us, not to be an object of our affection from afar, but to dwell with us. He made it that way in the garden, and He wants it that way now. That is the love story. But then this happened. There was a fall. Now this is what our this is what our uh, Jesus Bibles. Jesus book. Jesus story of the Bible says, I love it. We fell away. The serpent. Uh, first, I'm going to start with scripture. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, and the Lord God made that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Did you? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat from fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die." We all know that's an exaggeration, right? Except there's some truth in there, isn't there? Because even in that exaggeration, you must not touch it, which is not what God said, she knew that there would be a breach between the forever happiness and God and his people. And that breach would be death. And she took some and ate it, and she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Uh Uh-oh, we've done something wrong. Did you ever have a... Your dog embarrassed because they're naked? (laughs) No. You see, that's how it was. This is the way it was. We were so at ease in our skin, there was nothing to be embarrassed about. God made us to live in complete ease. He didn't make us to fuss over what we were going to wear on the way to Bible study today. But that was part of the obvious difference now, that our eyes were open and we could discern good and evil. And because of that, we could be dangerous. Because when you can discern evil, you might choose it. Oh, I wish that wasn't so true. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Of course he knew. And the man answered, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he said, Who told you you were naked? He knew that too. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever because you could, you could be choosing evil forever and your evil might never stop raining. So he said, Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. But then the story continues. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. And even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And although they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children looking for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve, It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you, and when I do, I'm going to do battle against that snake, and I'll get rid of the sin and the darkness and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. How is he going to manifest that? He started to show us in his covenant relationship with Abram. He said, I'm, I'm the God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I'll make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase in numbers. God said to Abraham, Abram at that time, I'm gonna be with you, and I'm gonna make this happen with you because I'm gonna be near you in every way. And they, after Moses, they began to establish ways to make that knowable, he said. Um, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law and with them in the wilderness, and it had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. That's from the book of Acts. So here's the deal. When God put us out, he didn't put us out alone, but he gave us indicators of himself, special relationships with the leadership that he put in place. And they were to then figure out how to communicate and tell that story to the people so we could get back in good sense with God and back in a good place with God. Last year, we studied the book of Numbers, which I thought was fascinating. Anybody in here study the book of Numbers? Fascinating. Because it taught us about the tabernacle. And what this is is God's dwelling traveling along with the people wherever they went. His very essence was there in fire and in the the smoke. But his within these boundaries, we almost have a picture of the garden again. We have work to do by those he was given to do it. We have uh, responsibility to give to God in order to honor him, sacrifices and so forth, to keep things going. And within the tent there, the tabernacle, there is the Holy of Holies, the most sacred spot. And in that golden Ark of the Covenant are placed the evidences of the relationship God has with his people. The laws, the Ten Commandments, the Word. And they put them in the Ark of the Covenant and put them in the deepest, most central place of this tabernacle. And when God said go, they packed up their tent for themselves and the tent for God, and they went. And tabernacle means tents. So when you hear about the Feast of Sheets, no, yes, sheets, and the Feast of the Tents and the Feast of the Tabernacle, what you're hearing is there's a specific um, edict that you are to celebrate this event in perpetuity so we have people that god equips with himself to go with them where they go even while they're way out of his promised land even while they're in the meantime and the wilderness of the 40 years of refining themselves to be ready to receive the full promise he was with them even then but the promise comes most true in the person of jesus and for those of us that study Numbers and all the indicators and symbols in the, the tabernacle and later in the, in the temple that was built for Solomon, by Solomon rather, we saw so many indications of Jesus' heart being played out in a picture. In other words, he was metaphorically there too. He was showing us what it's like to be him and what it's like to be in the innermost place of your heart and to have you come in and to lead you in. He, there's so many, it's, you know the Bible's? Awesome! You should try it. (laughs) (laughs) So he's with us in person now, in the form of Jesus, in person for the purpose of redemption. In other words, we're going to redeem those lost years. We're going to redeem the the desert wilderness where we're sinning. We're going to redeem the first sin. We're going to redeem the everyday sins only by the gift of Jesus, who is our redeemer. So here's the problem when we're talking about. being a believer of Christ, being a follower of Christ, it does not make any sense. But not by any other means. Here's the, here's the equation. You're bad, he's good, he takes the blame, all's well. Where else do you see that? So for people to come to this place, for me to come to this place, I had to realize that my life was missing something. I had to first see the bad news before I could see the good news. Because you can go along a long way on just playing I got this, I did. But there was still something in me that felt like, ah, is that all there is? In the world right now, this postmodern world and beyond, you're seeing a lot of people experience that sort of, ah, is that all there is? And take their lives especially young men, they don't understand a higher purpose. They don't know there's another story, there's another chapter, and there's the chapter ends really well. Spoiler alert, we win! <laughs> but the deal is, in the meantime, without a hope, there's despondency. There's a sense of nihilism, a that term that's used a lot these days, which means nothing has any real meaning. We saw that in Solomon's words, or at least in Ecclesiastics. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Which is a contrast to everything is meaningful if you know what the full is, who the full is. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. These are the, book, these are the words of John. God is making His home with us. Not in a temple far away. Not in a place we have to go to. But the home is where the heart is. So this is the tabernacle for us to keep the love of Jesus in front of us and alive. And he does that by virtue of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't push his way in. See, here's the deal. He's not going to knock down the door. But he is going to knock on it. And he's going to keep knocking. He's going to be like that persistent widow. He's going to knock. And you're going to get an icky feeling, and you're going to say yes, and then you go, "I didn't mean that," and you say yes again, and then you go, "Okay, I meant a little bit," and you say yes again and yes again. Because being a follower of someone, being in relation with someone, is a series of yeses. I say yes to try. I say yes to stay. I say yes to stay through the hard times. I yes to stay through till t- t- the end. It's a series of yeses. It's a new kind of covenant of the heart. So I heard that knocking when I was around. 20, I was in college. I was not raised with Bible uh, teaching so much. Um, I certainly knew all the stories. Um, Mostly, I thought the fig leaf thing was the most interesting, but there you go. Um, uh, Just being honest there. Um, And then I came to church because they had donuts. (laughs) And then I came to church because a certain boy named Bob was there. But through it all... And I got interested in what the pages of my Bible felt like, like they had them in the pew. and I was like, oh, I'm just, this is different than anything else. And my ears began to be more open, and my heart began to be more receptive, and my eyes began to see more evidence that there was something bigger than what I could see and what I could manage for myself. And even the small successes that I had started to feel kind of hollow. And then one day someone said to me, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I had no idea what they meant. They stayed with me until I did. So I do. It's a good story. (laughs) Let me tell you. So Jesus knows we're going to need lots of stories. Because this is a simple but not easy concept. You understand what I mean there? Simple concept. Like I told you before. You know, we're bad. He's good. He takes the blame. We win how is that normal? How is that easy? How do I integrate that? How do I get that? How do I tell other people to get that? Why should we build a whole culture around it? Not easy. So he tells us lots of stories. That's why I'm telling you stories. This one from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus said, coming home to God is as wonderful as finding a treasure. You might have to dig before you find it. You might have to look before you see it. You might even have to give up everything you have to get it but being where God is, being in his kingdom, that's more important than anything else in all the world. It's worth anything you have to give up. Jesus told them, because God is the real treasure. See, we want to be where he is, and we want him to be where we are, because he is the treasure. I love this
1: Bible. <laughs>
0: I saw something on TV the other day, and I, you know, once your heart is open to what God is doing, you start to see evidences of it all around. So I'm watching a news format show last week, and they had a story about a guy named um, Pittston. What's his name? Let me look here. Airman Class, Airman First Class William Pittsbarger. There's a group of veterans that are seeking to get him honored for something he did during the war. They were in a battle. Uh, Charlie Company was <coughs> obliterated, 80% slaughtered. And out of the air comes this helicopter. And they're dropping down this particular medic, William Pittsbarger, because there's a lot of need for him. Nearly everyone is dead and dying. And they said to him, why are you coming here for us? And he said this. I love this. I'm here because you are. man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And not just once or twice. William Pittsbarger did it. He saved 60 men. And they had an honorary event for him, and the room was packed with thousands because of the offspring of the 60 he saved. I, I, I will pursue you. It is my desire to now One would be lost. That's what he thought, and that's what Jesus thinks. So he'll just keep knocking, and he'll send a helicopter if he needs to. And we have to just take his hand. It's very, very significant for me to see that because there are, there are stories of Jesus everywhere. And you don't have to be a religious person to recognize something amazing happened there. So in perpetuity, in restoration, we, he will dwell with us. These are the promises, so many promises. I'll go and prepare a place for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to pave the way for you. I have to leave so my spirit can come and dwell in you. You will do greater things than this because my spirit will be in each one of you. He goes so that we too may live forever. book of Revelation is full of you know, pictures of heaven and, and all of its beauty. and um, Here's one. I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is a choice we get to make. We get to say, I am going to open the door. I'm going to open it farther. I'm going to come inside. I'm going to come all the way inside. I'm going to take off my coat and my boots and sit on a comfy couch and let Jesus and I dwell together. This is a choice you get to make today. Maybe it's a choice you've already made. Maybe it's a choice you've made some of. And all the choices today is say yes, I'll come in. Yes, Lord, come in. So I'm going to have you listen to this song that I love so much that it makes me cry every time. Last night, in, I was playing this song. Rhonda asked me on my way from my computer. <laughs> I was like, I'm praising. Okay, so you're going you're to listen to this song. Here's just another another story that God gives us t- to love Him.
1: Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and Now your burden's lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. Kiss the world goodbye, and go in peace and laugh on glory's side, and fly.